Boss demands that I stay in my lane, so I force her to do what she hates most. Some time ago, I used to work in a medical specialty office. It was ID, or infectious disease, as a medical assistant. Some quick side information, I used to work in the food industry and was always told that I wouldn't ever contribute to society or do anything meaningful in my life. While I absolutely loved working as a chef and a baker at the time, I wanted to do more with my life and prove to myself that I wasn't as useless as people made me out to be. Not that I believe that for one second, but in my culture, if you aren't a businessman or a doctor, you're lower than everyone else. It's pretty horrible, but that's how the culture is. I now live in the US and it's been pretty good. Back to the story. I graduated top three in my class and was certified through AAMA and scored in the 90th percentile. So I knew my stuff, but I never worked a white collar job in my life. So I was afraid that I would seem out of place. I did my externship at the ID clinic in my town and they loved my interpersonal skills. They loved my work and stated that I would be offered a job at the end of my externship. I was elated. I was so happy to have a job secured and have my foot in the door into the medical field. It turns out my blue collar experience helped me relate with a lot of the patients and they appreciated my work more for it. As my time went on, my experience working in the medical field became less about the money and more about the people I can help with my direct patient care. They weren't just charts, MRNs, medical number records for those non-medical folks, and diagnosis. They were Jeff, who ran the local farmer's market, or Meg, who worked with the kids at the Y. I cared for my patients and our repeats would always look forward to coming back to see me and chat. I loved working with my patients. So at the end of the externship, I was extended an offer of employment for a decent amount of money. It was more than my other classmates were offered at this practice, but still not a whole lot. And I took it. I was to be a medical assistant in charge of direct patient care. This meant check-ins, rooming, dealing with prescriptions, performing and searching for labs, packing wounds, and doing dressing changes. Being officially a part of the office now, I was determined to work my butt off and show myself and my colleagues that I could do it. I continued to do my work and care for my patients. However, over time, I would notice certain things weren't in my job duties that I could do that would help out the patients. Certain things like calling their doctors for update orders or checking for records from local hospitals. Also helping patients find good home health or SNFs, skilled nursing facilities, generally the medical scheduler's job. This also included looking into insurance coverages, billing, and checking referral statuses, referral coordinates, among other things. Doing these tasks meant a lot more work on my end, but it also meant the best care that I could offer my patients. This went on for a year and my patients were happy and willing to come to their appointments. Apparently, not a whole lot of people like coming to a building with the words infectious disease in big print on its side. Then one day, out of the blue, I was called into my supervisor's office. Young, naive me thought, oh great, they've been seeing how hard I'm working and I'm finally getting recognized. Maybe they'll promote me to lead. Nope. My boss, Shelly, told me that I'm working too hard and sticking my finger in too many pots. I asked where this was coming from. She stated that I was staying more than five minutes late too many times and it's because I'm doing too much work. She said, we can't keep paying you all this overtime. I think I was maybe 30 minutes overtime at most. She said that's still too much. I'm doing too much work. I was baffled, absolutely stunned. I thought I was doing the practice a service, but she undermined the entirety of my last year's hard work I put in. I was frustrated and a bit upset, but tried my best to remain professional. So I asked her what she would like me to do, and the next words out of her mouth were the ones that she would regret. Well, I see you're doing a lot of tasks that are meant for other positions. Maybe you should stop doing those and just stay in your lane. She then proceeded to write me up for trying to abuse the time clock. 
Insert Jim Carrey's alrighty then and cue malicious compliance. I asked her to send me a list of exactly what my job duties are, and she said she would be happy to. It listed most of what I originally meant to do, except it didn't include dressing changes and packing wounds. I saw this and immediately knew that this would be trouble for my boss. You see, she was the only other medical assistant on our end of the office that was certified to deal with minor wounds and dressings. Since I was the main contact for patients, that would fall on her plate. So I told my patients that I won't be doing any extra work because it goes against the practice's wishes, and I was told not to. All of them understood, but it's tough to get patients to keep appointments when things get delayed. Not long after the order was issued, I got my first page for a wound pack. Excellent. One thing to note about my boss is she absolutely hates feet. And one thing to note about infectious disease clinics is that we dealt with a lot of diabetic foot infections. At least two or three a day. Doc wants to see how it's healing, so he removes the wrap and unpacks the foot. Spent a little extra with the patient and now has to get to his next appointment. I'm paged by the doc to pack the foot. Wet to dry. Not a problem, Doc. I'll get Shelly for you. He gives me this kind of odd look, but continues to his next appointment. Shelly gloves up, and as soon as she passes the threshold of the room and notices it's a diabetic foot, she holds back her gags and immediately starts sweating. I pass by the room, and she asks for my help. As calmly as I could, I turn and said, Sorry, boss. Packing wounds isn't on my list. Can't do it. Gotta stay in my lane. By the way, it's 2 o'clock and at 3, there's a through and through foot infection. Probably should get that packed soon too. I'm glad we were wearing masks because she couldn't see the massive grin I had on my face through this whole encounter. She tried to write me up about disobeying superiors, but I had spoken with my GM and she was behind me. Instead, she ended up getting written up for trying to put wound packs back on my list after she told me I did too much work. She ended up having to do part of the medical scheduler's job, part of the referral coordinates job, and part of the billing office's job as she had let go of one of our front desk office staff because there was not enough work to go around. There was plenty of work. I was doing it. She didn't last long after that. The burnout got to her and she stepped down from the supervisor position four months after that. They ended up hiring another super and I left the practice shortly after I got COVID. They told me to come back into work after three days while I was still very symptomatic. So I told them that I wouldn't be endangering my patients like that and to shove it. Last I heard, they have an entirely new front office staff and they're perpetually shorthanded. They should have just let me drive my own path instead of telling me to stay in their silly lanes. But let me know, am I the jerk? Another good employee destroyed by the budget. It's crazy how powerful money is in our everyday lives. What is even crazier is when people who have nothing to do with the day-to-day -day work are the ones making the decisions to make sure no one goes over their hours. Now, I will say I understand that this is a business and I've worked with my fair share of overtime abusers, but this supervisor could have handled this situation a lot different. I wouldn't have written up the OP for one thing, but I would have also just explained that they need to cut back on something or I would have offered to help them, especially if I had a task that I hated like working with feet like this supervisor did. I would treat people that do the tasks I hate with the utmost respect and care. Hopefully that supervisor learned this very good life lesson after this. You need to be better at timekeeping. Okay then, I will. I saw this post earlier on that reminded me of a story from a job I had a few years back and one of the worst bosses I ever worked with. The story goes like this. This one day in particular, I arrived at work the same time as my team lead's boss. I walk across the car park and in through the doors of our office. 
merely seconds after him. He doesn't say anything to me from across the car park, even though he saw me. He doesn't even acknowledge me at all. The time is 7.03, and I was supposed to start at 7 o'clock, just like him. Later that day, my team lead gets an email from this guy telling me to give me a bollocking for being late. My team lead, who also happens to be a good buddy of mine outside of work, didn't give me the bollocking. But instead, he replied to his boss and told him that I regularly work an hour or so later after work and don't claim any overtime. At the time, I was young and didn't have any commitments waiting for me back home, and I was the type of guy who would want to finish a job before leaving. My team lead's boss said he didn't care, that my workday started at 7, and that he expected me at my desk at that time every day. He said that he was sick of my relaxed attitude towards timekeeping. My buddy showed me the email back and forth between them, which he wasn't supposed to do, and just shrugged and said something like, at least you know now, I don't give a crap. Just as far as I'm concerned, you do more than your stated hours, but he's clearly gunning for you. Just watch your back. So I decided that I take my boss's words to heart, and from that day until I left for a much better job, I arrived at work at 6.50 every morning, got myself a morning brew, and sat at my desk not doing anything until 7 when I would start work. Even when I got to the office early, I'd sit in the car park until it was time, and I left exactly on my out time of 3.30 every single day. The boss didn't notice, of course, until a few months later, a big job dropped just before home time, as they often did, and they needed someone to stay on. There was the usual rushing around and hushed discussion from the management about it. And then the boss came over and asked me if I wouldn't mind staying on to do the job. I was usually the guy for the job in these circumstances. Most everybody else had young families that they needed to go home to. Now I would have stayed on and earned myself some sweet overtime. I had nowhere I needed to be or anything I particularly wanted to do. But at the time he was asking me and it was only a few minutes before I had to go home. I told the boss that I wouldn't be staying on to do the job. He asked why and I pointed to the clock and said, because it's home time. With that, I shut down my computer, put on my coat and went to leave. He asked me if I had something to go to, if I had plans for the evening or something, and I just replied blankly, nope, and then politely said goodbye over my shoulder as I left. Of course, he was absolutely fuming, but he had no power to compel me to stay and he knew it. I found out in the days that followed that he blew his top and asked my team lead to gather my time logs over the past couple of months since he ordered him to bollock me for those three minutes that I was late. He wanted to haul me over the coals for something. When he realized I was keeping exactly the hours I was contracted to keep, he pulled me into his office and asked why I wasn't being as committed to my role as I used to be staying back late to get stuff done. I smiled and very politely explained that staying late after home time for no pay is something that is done out of goodwill and that he had eroded all the goodwill when he had my team lead give me a bollocking for being three minutes late on a day when I got to work at the exact same time as him. And I explained that from that point onwards, my goodwill was gone and I was only going to do what my employment contract asked of me and nothing more. He was so red in the face that I could tell he wanted to lose his cool at me, but he had no legs to stand on. My timekeeping had been impeccable and the work I was doing while at work was in good standard. He had nothing. All he could do was say he was disappointed that I felt that way. I shrugged and asked him if there was anything else. There wasn't, so I got up and left his office. I kept my nose clean for a little over a year after that incident, but he was always trying to get me for some reason or another. In the end, I found a very nice job elsewhere, and I I heard that after I left, just about the entire department followed suit. But let me know. 
Am I the jerk? This seems very similar to some of the actions I took after run-ins with my aggro bosses at my old job. I've mentioned many times that I left my old job for a bunch of reasons, but one of the main reasons was because I had a boss that was trying to get me fired because he didn't like that I told him, and I quote, that he needed to figure something out when I was on vacation and no one would be in charge. I also had a boss slash lead that would let me in on information that I wasn't supposed to have, so I could easily prepare for a counterattack against this bad boss when he tried to pull some stuff. Working at that old job gave me endless amounts of malicious compliances. Welcome to the unending notebook emporium. When I was a student, I earned some extra cash money by working in a stationery shop in a university town. I only worked on the weekends, and since there was no deliveries or post-lecture rushes, we usually had three of us on duty. At first, it was me, Electron, a physics student with a little time for humans, and Josh, the weekend manager. Josh was a surfer dude, always really relaxed, knew most of the job was BS, and freely told us that the only thing he liked was chatting with us and the customers. We developed a great group of repeat customers who liked the store being quieter and being able to talk to us and whatever problems they had. On that basis, Josh had agreed that the policy whereby the weekday team did all the scheduled tasks when there were more staff on duty. But on the weekend, all we did was filling empty shelves and sales. Unfortunately, Josh's main job as a water sports instructor was really taking off, and his days of selling paper clips were over. Neither I or Electron had any interest in being responsible for keys, cash balancing, and explaining to sketchy folks why we stopped selling those little resealable plastic bags. So we didn't inquire about the weekend manager job, and we weren't asked either. Apparently, a weekday worker, Susan, asked for the hours. I like Susan. She often took weekend shifts when one of us was out of town and she blended well with our team. But a storm was brewing. The owner had decided that weekend manager was a pointless job title and that an experienced salesperson could handle the weekend crew. So when Susan was offered the opportunity to run the weekend team, it was not on the management pay scale, it was on a $1 hour supplement. I genuinely did feel sorry for her. Neither me nor Electron would have taken on the responsibility for an extra $8 more per shift. She negotiated him up to $1.50 an hour, but most importantly for her, agreed that though contractually she'd be a salesperson, at the weekend she would be referred to as manager. I know this because she spent the first month drilling this point home and she printed out a special badge that said manager. Then got upset when the store's assistant manager, Alice, told her that she wasn't allowed to wear it on weekdays. This created a rift that Alice never forgot. Alice told us when covering one weekend that Susan had also promised everyone that she would whip the weekend team into shape and that Josh had allowed us to become lazy. Alice thought the whole thing was hilarious and said that it was pointless anyways. The owner had far bigger priorities than this store and also as long as we were ticking over a profit, he really could care less about the sales volume from week to week or who worked that shift. To get Susan out of his hair, he agreed that if she could boost sales in her first two months, that she would get a reward. And wouldn't you know it, in the first two months, which happened to be a new academic year, sales were indeed boosted. She got a $25 gift voucher to another store that he owned. She told Electron and me that it was a clear example of how hard work pays off. We simply needed to apply ourselves and follow her instructions. One Sunday, I was talking to a student who wanted to buy a USB stick for his university work. I was talking to him about how to back up your data and that a single USB stick might not be sufficient. 
Electron was explaining something I didn't understand to someone who I also could not understand. Susan emerged from the small office at the back of the store where she had started to spend most of her time working on the system. It was very unclear what the system did or why it had worked so effortlessly during Josh's tenure and now required constant babysitting. But her time with the system was unavoidable and critical to our success. This shelf isn't full, she said to the open floor. I turned around and she was pointing at the shelf of notebooks. The owner had struck a killer deal on multiple pallets of garnishly colored notebooks, and now we had thousands of them in the stockroom. The weekday team had put about a hundred of them on the shelf. But as they were cheap and selling quickly, a fairly noticeable gap had developed. Normally, I would grab some when I happened to go into the stockroom for something else. But that hadn't happened in a while. I went back to talking to the customer, but then she grabbed my shoulder and jerked it back. Bobby Bumblebee, she said. When I ask a question, I expect a response. The young guy I was talking to looked horrified and started to back away. Are you going to buy that? She asked him pointing at the USB stick in his hands. He shook his head, muttered something apologetically, and put it back on the shelf before rushing out of the shop. Another time waster, she said to me. No more wasting time on chat. You're either at the register selling or you're filling up shelves. We got plenty of notebooks in the stockroom and there's no excuse for empty shelves. I expect every space filled. She turned and marched back to the little office. She looked over at Electron and pointed at him. That goes for you too, Electron. He looked back at her with a look of total confusion, but he usually did, so it didn't stand out. Then as she slammed the office door behind her, a light bulb went off in my head. Electron, I said, did you hear her say every space? He nodded and started to smile. He apologized to his customer for no longer being permitted to talk to them. And we started a Herculean tag team effort in the stockroom. I brought out the first batch on the trolley and filled the notebook shelf. It looked pretty good. We were waiting for a shipment of printer paper. So there was a big gap in that section. Not anymore. I stocked those notebooks a yard high. I thought Susan might hear the noise and come out, but she was far too busy. Electron spent some time manning the register, but mostly we were filling shelves. Until eventually, we had filled the shelves. It looked like a kid had eaten an entire pack of highlighters and spewed across the whole store. I realized though, that she said every space, not every shelf. I created a new tower near the office door. It was a majestic sight, almost six feet high in the center. Electron crowned it with the roll of sparkling glitter tape. To me, it was my Washington monument. It was at this point that I heard, what the hell? You see, the one thing I knew that no one else did was that Alice was coming in at the end of the day to collect some paperwork. Welcome to the unending notebook emporium, I said. I then told Alice how we had been berated earlier in the day and that we were now following Susan's strict instructions. Thankfully, Alice thought it was hilarious. She did ask though, how Susan had failed to notice what we were doing. She'd been working on the system for the last three hours, I explained. Alice went up to the door, but rather than knocking on it, she just flung it open. Susan had been sitting in the office chair with her feet on the desk reading a novel and had jolted herself so violently that the chair had shot out from behind her and she was now rolling around on the floor. Alice closed the shop, told Electron and me that she'd get things straightened out and that we should report as usual the following weekend. I wish I could say that Susan was fired and that Alice had taken over weekend management. But for some reason, Alice and the store manager decided to give her a second chance. Susan did have to stay late to move all of the notebooks spread across random shelves to my notebook tower. 
though I must say with less architectural flair than I had done. It still stood, although slightly diminished, a week later when I came back from my next shift. I have no idea what was said to Susan after the store closed, but she never wore that badge or shouted again. She also spent a lot of time on the floor and started to give us extremely clear instructions with absolutely no ambiguity. This was a great source of amusement for Electron, who occasionally played up to it. My personal favorite being when he asked if selling as much printer ink as possible meant he should lower the price to one cent. A few months later, both Electron and I finished our degrees and left. Neither of us worked in retail again. Electron went on to gain a PhD in physics and we still keep in touch. But I still have no idea what he was talking about or what he does for a living. Alice later took over as the store manager and Susan, as far as I can make out, left a couple years after me and now works as an assistant manager at a nearby supermarket. I like to think that she treats people better now, but who knows? At the very least, I hope that every time she sees a notebook, she remembers the day she spawned the unending notebook emporium. But let me know, am I the jerk? Now this story brought back memories because this is a classic retail malicious compliance. We would do this all the time at the warehouse that I worked at. Some manager always wanted the area to look stocked, but never said that we needed to be fully stocked. So most times we would just move all the items up to the edge of the shelf. Now, of course, this did cause a problem when those items did actually run out, but it was something management had to deal with, or it was a good way to get some extra hours on the week's check if we felt like we needed them. Either way, you should be careful with what you ask for when it comes to retail workers. That's it for today's video. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on any content, hit that subscribe button and make sure you hit that bell to turn on notifications. If you want to finish listening to all those stories, use the playlist at the top of the description. And if you're someone who live streams and needs copyright free music, check out the Cream of the Crop music by searching Cream of the Stream on Spotify or whatever music platform you choose. Remember, it's free.